Welcome back to Goat Homeschooling with Erin and Amanda. Today, we're going to talk about kind of a heavier topic, but something that we've both done and me recently and Amanda fairly recently is caregiving or dealing with grief and loss during homeschool. So I hope that you find this helpful and maybe you've been there before and can relate. I know I've talked to so many people recently that have dealt with this and it's just amazing the community that you have that you may not know is there. Welcome to Goat Homeschooling with Erin and Amanda. I'm Erin. And I'm Amanda. This is the podcast to encourage moms that have been at this homeschooling gig longer than five years and plan on sticking with it through the high school years the long haulers, as we like to say. We want to help you have the greatest of all time homeschool that meets the needs of your family by encouraging you with real conversations on the issues that pop up as you've been in this homeschool lifestyle for years. So it'll be fun to try and see if there's people out there that need the encouragement and if there's anything that we can do to help others as they get started on their journey. That'd be awesome. That's what we're here for. So you want to start, Erin? Sure. My mom, she moved in with us last year. She and my dad are divorced and she needed a place to live. And we really felt like we should open up our home to her. So she moved in like not this past November, but the November before 2020. And uh, so she was with us. And in July, just before the school year started, she actually had an accident at her job and she broke her ankle. And so from the very beginning of this school year, we were kind of helping her out through that with, you know, bringing food to her while she's sitting in the chair because she can't get up and helping with, you know, whatever we could to help her heal. She's pretty much a go-getter always has been. So she was pretty independent driving herself to like physical therapy and things like that. But there was a lot of times where, you know, me or the kids would be running up and down the stairs to get her things because her room was downstairs. And so kind of started the school year out with a little bit more caregiving responsibility with her injury. And we all love to be able to do that. And, you know, that was one thing that I've talked with my husband about and with Amanda and several friends. It's just, that's the beauty of homeschooling, you know, having someone in your home that you can have multiple hands to help make light work with the things that you need to do, or with the flexibility of not having to be somewhere at a specific time and being able to be flexible with our school day to accommodate appointments or helping out someone else. So, so that was the last, you know, six months from July to this year. So this November, and then we all got the crud, you know, we all got sick after Thanksgiving, um, turns out that she had COVID and we probably all did too, but just, you know, had a false negative test or whatever. She was hospitalized early December and then passed away, um, at the end of December. That has been the hardest thing I've ever dealt with for sure is losing my mom who also lived with us and my kids have a great relationship with and who we've been helping already. And is very much a part of our homeschool. You know, it's been really difficult and with homeschooling, it's just been amazing how for one, the community that we've built over the past 10 years, homeschooling has just really wrapped around us and brought us meals. And Amanda has been fantastic. And you know, just being emotional support and physical support, you know, helping out with my youngest after the funeral and just really um, so many wonderful friends that we've met along the way who are all just really pulling for us. And 
you know, that's, we've had that conversation before about building your community or finding your people in the homeschool community. And especially over the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, that's really been pivotal, I think, to helping my family grieve well and heal and look to the future and what that looks like without Oma, you know? Right. Well, and it's not even all of the emotion that goes into it. I mean, what your community does for you is helps to take care of the logistics so you can feel the emotion. And I think that that's really important, especially post caregiving, because you're reeling, you know, like the whole time she was in the hospital, you were reeling and you were, you know, bouncing from one place to another, trying to take care of things and take care of business and the logistics of caregiving and Mm -hmm. not really able to deal with the emotion. And now that things have kind of ended, you know, um, for lack of a better word, there's the emotion that you can deal with and other people can help pick up the logistics. Yeah. And it's, it seems huge to you, of course, because it is, it's a big deal, but to the, to those around you, it's not <laughs> it's right. like, if that's the least I can do, if I can watch your kid for a couple hours and she just kind of goes into the fold of our house and like, you know, she runs around and feeds chickens and <laughs> plays with dogs. That's not a difficult task, but I realized that it takes a big burden, a logistical burden off of you because Mm -hmm. you have the emotional side to deal with. And even some more of the logistics of caring for her estate and, you know, Mm -hmm. doing all the things that have to be done when someone, when the end of their life comes. So when I had a similar, but different experience when my dad passed away, he had a lot of mental health issues. Um, My dad did not raise me. So I didn't have the wonderful bond that you had with your mom, with my dad, but it was, for me, it was the right thing to do. You know, uh, my dad, the last 13 years of his life lived with my grandmother um, and she cared. It was symbiotic really. Like he took out the trash and she cut his hair, you know, it was kind Mm -hmm. of a, and he, you know, made sure that she stayed safe. And when she had health issues, he was able to call 911 for her and things like that. And then she passed away and right before she passed away, she called me and said, I can't live with him anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, with her, with her, uh, phone that she had snuck into the rehab facility, she had broken her leg. Um, and and (laughs) she's like, you gotta come see me. I can't, but it was all, it was all contraband. You know, she was always Mm -hmm. breaking the rules. So I went to see her and and she told me that she couldn't live with him anymore and that we needed to figure out what to do shortly thereafter he was found in the house down and he had been down for 36 hours or so and could not get back up. So obviously he needed help Mm -hmm. and that her being there was more of a help to him than any of us realized. Mm -hmm. So we got him situated and taken care of who's in the hospital for a couple of weeks and we had psyche valves and things done and soon realized that he had not only mental health issues that he had his whole life, but also Alzheimer's. And so he, we knew, and then grandma passed away during that whole process. And so we knew that he couldn't go back home because there was no one there to help care for him. And so facilitating the assisted living facility, facilitating the finances, getting guardianship over him. So he wouldn't be a ward of the state, basically Mm -hmm. gaining access to his financials where he was financially paranoid. And so that was a point of contention between he and I. But, you know, when you have someone that you're caring for that has Alzheimer's, you don't spend your time arguing with them. 
-hmm. you know, you have to find a different way to communicate. And so if they're accusing you, you know, and you never know what you're walking into. There was one day I was very confused and I went to visit him and I was talking to the nurses and things and talking to him. And he was talking about someone that he knew in high school. And he said, do you remember this person? And I said, no, I don't, I don't remember this person. And he's like, I can't believe you don't remember this person. And it was probably a 45 minute conversation about whether or not I remembered this person that he mm -hmm. knew in high school. And I realized he thought I was his sister. Oh no. And oh. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people he could have mistaken me for my mother being one of them. And so if he's going to mistake me for anyone, I took that as a compliment, <laughs> you know, like my aunt was a really cool person. So I'm really uh -huh. happy that he mistook me for her, but how do you argue with that? Like, Oh, that's, you know, what is it that you want to say about this person? Um, mm -hmm. So there's navigating all of that. Of course, taking mm -hmm. my kids to go see him, but not too often giving them that autonomy and decision-making on whether, on how much time they want to spend with them. For you, a lot of that choice was taken away because of COVID. It's there's just, right. no we couldn't get to see her for half the time she was in the hospital. And then when we could, yeah. it was limited to two visitors a day. And that is a whole other topic I don't want right. to get into, but yeah. it's just so frustrating when you're sure. watching from FaceTime, your loved one. Um, and then when you do get to see them, it's at the end of their life, you know, and yeah. And like you said, just not only just the logistics of being able to go back and forth to the hospital and dealing with phone calls and talking to doctors and talking to other family members to try and coordinate things. But then after the fact, you know, like you said, there's banks and loans and estate settling and conversations. I feel like I've been on the phone a lot and I think that's just, you know, part of the beauty of our flexibility with homeschool is that I can, you know, say here, kids, this is what we need to do today, or we could take a break. You know, there were a lot of times the whole, you know, month of December that it was not book work that was being school, you know, doing school and books, but more of that interest led learning of like, what could you be working on today while I'm not here so that you can be learning and educating yourself and progressing so that we can have some sort of a routine or whatever, you know, to keep kind of keep balance in our life while things are so up in the air. Well, and they're not just learning that either. They're, they're also learning how to be empathetic and they're learning compassion right. and they're learning how to deal with difficult people because we all have difficult nurses and doctors to deal with when you're trying to care, get for someone and advocate for someone that can't for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have all of those things that they're picking up on all of that and they're learning all of that. That is a huge blessing in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. that uh, we don't see initially. I don't think, you know, we're not, we're so stressed out and we're so in the thick of it that we're not realizing how much they're learning. Mm -hmm. And if, if we can be encouragement to other people, encouraging to other homeschoolers about caregiving, if you're going into caregiving or if you're needing to caregive, or if you're even in the thick of caregiving someone else, then, you know, understand that that's important. Those are important mm -hmm. life skills for your kids to learn. I did a lot of things like I would start school in the morning and then in the afternoon would be my phone call time. So if I had someone that I needed to have a, a phone appointment with, you know, if it was an administrator that was calling me or a nursing staff or what have you, I would ask them to call me after one o'clock. 
And that way I could do whatever school I felt we needed to do in the morning. And then I could have time set aside and my kids understood, okay, this is my time to go talk Mm -hmm. to the nurse. This is what's happening with grandpa. This Mm -hmm. is what needs to be taken care of today. And this is why we're taking care of those things. And they understood the, I mean, my kids are a little older, but they understood the frustrations. They understood the processes going to see him in the assisted living facility and the process by which you do that and communicating with the nursing staff, what kind of information they get from the nursing staff that's important to his care, you know, all of those things and helping facilitate that. I mean, I was on the phone at least once a day, once every other day with the nursing staff. I was on a first name basis with a lot of the nursing staff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the assisted living facility, because if you're not in, and I was encouraging you to do the same thing, get on a wonderful, get on a one on a first name basis with these people, because they will see you as extended family and they will see you as someone that cares. Cause there's a lot of patients that they have that no one ever sees them. No one ever calls them. No one's ever involved. No one asks any questions. And so they become the patients of the back burner. Right. Yes. And, it's, and, and you could totally tell a difference with yes. me and my siblings up there. Like, Hey, did you do this? Or we noticed like every right. two hours, this is supposed to happen. And, you know, seeing some of the other people that obviously were not in, in their business or anything like that, but we could tell like, we're there all day and this visitor or that room is always, you know, no one's right. coming in and out. And so I think the advocacy is so important and it is such a good use of your time when your loved one is unable to do that themselves. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the one thing too, is like with our situation and what you've encouraged too, is like, ask for help, you know, as homeschool moms, we're fairly independent. We have our own ideas of how things should be done or want to be done. But one thing that's really saved my, my sanity here is the meal train that's been going for, you know, it was set up by friends and for two weeks we've got meals and when I'm on the phone all day or just totally exhausted or emotionally drained, it's so nice to have meals delivered or coordinated or something. And, you know, just as much as we want to be independent and not burden other people with things that are bothering us or our own life situations, because everybody's got their own stuff. It's been so fantastic seeing like people just want to help. And I think it's a way that I don't, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I always think of those things and how we've been so blessed, but I know that it's a blessing to other people. And I know I feel very blessed when I'm able to help other people So allow people the joy of blessing you during your hard time with your loved one, um, because you don't know how long it will last. You don't know it's the season of life. And I think that part of being able to grieve well through that is to pull in those people that are close to you in your community and say, Hey, this is how, this is a need. You know, it's hard because I've had so many people reach out and say, well, what do you need? And it's like a lot of days, I don't know, or I say, you know, really, I just, I need my mom. That's what I need. And I can't have that. So I don't really have a good answer for how you can help me, but people have found ways, just whether it's a text message, a phone call, like Amanda and our friend Becky just, you know, showed up and said, Hey, we're coming over tomorrow. What time works. And, you know, a lot of times you can be like, Oh no, my house is a mess. Like I I, I haven't taken a shower in three days, whatever, but no (laughs) one cares. won't care. They won't. Yes. They don't care. And if you do care, (laughs) then I don't know. That's a problem. Well, and if you're, if you're wanting to support someone else that, you know, is caregiving, then think about that. You know, do you want to ask that person what they need when they're so overwhelmed? They haven't even showered and getting taken care of their own personal needs. You know, it's good to make observations about what you think they might need 
and then yeah. ask them, Hey, can I do this and give, put that, the, put that idea in there and then they'll tell you yes or no, or yeah. they'll tell you what day is good for them. You know, the day after Aaron's mom died, I knew that she needed to have friends around her and I knew that she would want us, but she wasn't going to ask. She wasn't right. about to ask. <laughs> and even though she knew that she could ask, that's different than actually doing it and following through and asking. And she, I knew that she was grief, you know, stricken and just really struggling emotionally. And she needed to have someone there for her just to sit, just to sit and, mm -hmm. and talk about it. If she wants to talk about it or not, if she doesn't want to, we can shoot the breeze and talk about a million other things that are going on in the world and complain about our husbands. And that's fine <laughs> because that gives her support, emotional support. And so I, I, that's why I was like, you know, Becky and I talked about that and should we go see her? And I said, yeah, you know, but she's not going to tell us that we can go see her. So I'm just going to say, we're going to come over tomorrow. What time is good for you? And she gave me a time and we showed up and we sat there for a couple of hours. It was great, you know, and it was, it was a way for us to just give her that physical support and that emotional support. And so if you do have someone that's caregiving, just go sit, just go mm -hmm. sit with them and, and tell them, Hey, what's your schedule look like? I'd like to come over tomorrow or right. the next day, or whenever, you know, that you're free. It was great. And my husband was even like, I love your friends, you know, <laughs> and he's just <laughs> like, that's exactly what you needed. And they knew that. And like you said, it's just being specific because I feel so much like this whole last, I don't know, six weeks was decision fatigue, you know, right. and I don't know, like, even when it comes to a good decision, like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Like, I don't know. I can't even think about that I'm barely getting one foot in front of the other right now. And my brain is just mush, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, the more specific you can be when you're asking people who are in the thick of caregiving or losing a loved one is just the most specific thing that you can possibly be. So it's an easy yes or no. Right. Or get multiple that, choices. That's, that's fine too, you know, and say, yeah. okay, I can do A, B or C, and then you can just easily pick one. And you can eat, yeah. you know, your, or whoever you're wanting to care for in their caregiving, they can pick um, one of those multiple choice answers, and then you can follow through and do that for them. And that's a, a bigger, I guarantee you, it's a bigger blessing to, to them than it will be to you. Right. And well, and I think one thing that I did finally say, you know what, I'm really struggling, like just getting out of bed in the morning, you know, getting our day started and having hungry kids that needed to eat breakfast. And so I put that out there and had so many people, just wonderful friends bring over like breakfast sandwiches or little egg bites, or, you know, Amanda brought over protein balls. And it's just amazing how one little meal can make and set the tone for the rest of the day, I guess, where, you know, when your kids are hungry and you're just barely getting by, or you're gone all day at a hospital or you're gone at appointments or you're on the phone all day. And it's suddenly like one 30 and your little one's like, what are we having for lunch? And you know, I don't know. And it's just great to have something that's readily available. So I think those easy things have been really helpful and don't be afraid to ask your friends too. You know, I feel like so many times the buzzword is community, you know, in the Christian mm -hmm. culture and how we all just really want community. But then we're, when it comes time and the, and the rubber meets the road, you don't want to ask for your community to help you like community is great and doing fun things and fellowship and let's get together and have these great times. But that's so not what life is. A right. lot of the time there's the hard, hard things that we're dealing with and it's struggling messy. with. 
It's messy. Messy is is the word. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's really a a deep way of finding your community is getting, getting knee deep, elbow deep in the messy. And that's where you find, that's where you find God a lot of the time. That's where you find a lot of beauty. And that's where you find a lot of peace and support and kindness and all the things that we all need. We find it in the messy. And so we can't just keep going with fluff and having a fluffy uh, community, we actually have to get dirty and it's okay to get dirty. And it it ends up being a huge blessing all the way around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're homeschooling and you're caregiving, it's challenging and you feel guilty because you don't think you're giving your kids the education that you set out to give them. But as two people that have been there, done that, you are giving them so much more and actually caregiving is a blessing for your children. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you see it now, that's okay. But eventually, hopefully you can look back on that. Just like anything with hindsight being 2020, you can look back on that and know and see the blessing and your kids can go back and talk about what they experienced while you were caregiving and how much they grew as people and how much they mature and how many life skills they learn and how much empathy and compassion they learn for others. It's tremendous. And it's worth every bit of blood, sweat, and tears to get there. Mm -hmm. Well, and homeschooling is not task driven. It should not be task driven. It should be relationship driven. I mean, that's the heart of, I think, why anyone would feel the need to pull their kids out of public school or decide to start homeschooling from the get-go is because you, you see the relationship or you see that your child really needs you to be there at a level that is not culturally normal, I guess, or hadn't been before COVID. Now everybody seems to be pulling their kids out of school, but you know, the relationship aspect of homeschooling is really the driver. Homeschooling's the tool to build a relationship. And when you can help other people, I feel like, you know, how many times do we hear about workaholics and they're just so task driven and they don't spend time with their families. And now you've got kids at home who are seeing multi-generation of helping other people. You know, I'm helping my mom or grandma or great grandma, even in some cases, or uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so. And just to have that time, that gift of time that we have with our homeschool, I just wouldn't trade that for the world, you know, especially having had all this whole memory of the past year with having Uma living with us, you know, as sad and heartbreaking as her losses, it, it's, it makes it bittersweet, you know, to know that we were able to spend that last year taking care of her and in, in different ways with her injury and, um, just spending those fun memories with her during the school day, or she's popping in, in a conversation we're having about something we're learning or, watching a video with us after, you know, we've learned about something else and all those memories are so sweet and something to remember in the hard times of caregiving is, you know, especially after there's loss and it's not just an ongoing situation or a seasonal situation, like in just a, an ankle injury, you know, hopefully that's encouraging to other people. We feel what you're feeling. I understand where you're at. Amanda's, she was there before me dealing with this stuff And you're not alone. And I think it's easy for us to believe the lie that no one else understands how hard this is right now. Or, you know, you feel this guilt or like Amanda was saying earlier, just that shame of my school doesn't look like I wanted it to look like, or, you know, my kids aren't doing every single lesson like I wanted them to. And 
you know, that's, those are all tools and they're, they cannot be the end all be all of your homeschool. It's gotta be the relationships. There's lessons for us in that too, you know, and God's looking, sitting back and kind of chuckling to himself because he knows (laughs) that it's not going to ever be the way that we uh, expect it to be. And it's going to look different ways. And we set out on the homeschool journey with this having this imagery and it never looks like that. <laughs> yeah. Never does. Outside of caregiving homeschool never looks the <laughs> right. way I think exactly. it's going to look in the year, but when there is a, another ex- extraneous situation or right. something that's traumatic that happens. And, you know, part of this, I think what's helped to me is I have read a lot of great books and done a lot of training for trauma as a foster parent and adoptive parent. And, uh, there's one fantastic book called the body keeps the score. And it talks about trauma and what it does to your body. And I've just been thinking back on some of the lessons that I learned in that. And some of the other trainings about when you talk about the trauma to normalize it, you're not talking about normalizing like bad things that happen to people. Right. But to normalize the fact that this happened and to talk about it and to not hold it in, you know, your body's storing up all of that grief and to really cry it out. And, you know, I'm not crying right now, but I have many times where I'm just thinking about something or another decision has to come up or I've been gone all day and I, it just hits me. And then I have a a breakdown and just get it out. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that your kids need to see you grieving. They need to see you crying. They need to see you laughing to just be stoic all the time, or, you know, talk about it when the kids go to bed. Don't, you got to include your kids in the feeling because how else are they going to learn how to grieve well, how to not store up their trauma and bad things that happen and hold that in because your body keeps the score, you know? The whole process Uh, needs to be normalized for sure. And we need to be humanized to our kids as parents and as homeschool moms and as people, you know, they need to have mm -hmm. that understanding. And that's a huge learning curve. And that's hard when we've grown up to hide those things. And when we've had our own traumas, it's hard to decipher that and to, you know, Mm -hmm. I can compartmentalize um, what I was telling your husband, I can compartmentalize until I can't, you know, and so I can very easily put those, you know, things in columns until the, until it runs together. And when it runs Mm -hmm. together, that's really important for the kids to see and see that again, that whole messy, the messy side of it. And because that helps them to grow as people and to be whole as people and to not deal with things the way that our parents might've dealt with them, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to grieve in a healthy way, um, to be able to process things in a healthy way, to care, give in a healthy way. And And to not be a martyr through it, because I do know so many people who are they take it on as like a badge of, oh, look at me. I've been gone all these weeks and my homeschool is falling apart and woe is me, you know? And it's like, even though we don't have control of outside situations, we do have control of how we respond to them. And if prioritizing, you know, homeschooling during that time, or what is that going to look like? Just having a plan. And even if it doesn't work, being flexible within that, and just kind of making it like a framework of, okay, well on a perfect day, this is what it looks like on a day that's stressful. This is what it looks like. And on a day that everyone's falling apart, we just watch movies or, you know, whatever that is for your family, um, having a plan and giving yourself grace too, because it's really easy to look at yourself. Like I'm a complete failure. This totally sideswiped my school year. 
we're never going to get back on track. We're going to be so far behind. And it's like behind who behind what, you know, Um, because like Amanda said, they're, they're doing so much emotional learning and so much emotional growth. And it's a bonding time for your kids. They're always going to remember this year and they can remember it in in a very poor way, or they can remember it in a way that we grew together as a family. And I think like Amanda said, you had the opportunity, your kids were able to visit your dad in the care facility and, mm-hmm. and do those things. They won't forget that. Right. I, I took um, videos of my dad um, because my brother lives in another state. And so he wasn't um, part of the caregiving. It was, it was all on me. And when there was something significant happening, or if there was a concern that I had, I would take a video of him to share it with my brother. And sometimes the videos are long and you can't really text them. Like there's not a really good way of sending a video oftentimes. And so I'd put them on my private YouTube. Um, and so if only if someone has a link, then they can see the video. So it's, it's if you search for me, you're not going to find them, you know, but uh, so I could show my brother. And this morning I was looking at that and I'd actually taken a, a couple of videos of my dad the last day that he was alive. You know, I was concerned for mm-hmm. him in a lot of ways. And so I, and I was showing my, that to my brother and I was actually telling him to be prepared because it didn't look like that was doing too well. And I was watching those videos this morning and my youngest came in and said, I miss him. I miss him so much. And that is really significant because for me watching those videos, I'm thinking about how bad he was, like how out of it and the questions he was asking and um, his demeanor, you know, I was like watching for those signs, knowing what I know now and thinking about it from a medical perspective, you know, like what was happening there because he passed away that later that afternoon, it was like five hours before he died. Mm -hmm. I was taking these videos. So for him to just walk up behind me and say, I miss him the love there is whole and the love there is complete and your children love no matter how faulted, no matter how messy the situation is. And, you know, he's looking at this person as his grandpa and someone that he loves and someone that he knew was ill and he misses and he misses hearing his voice and he misses seeing his mannerisms and, and it's really sweet. And I'm really thankful especially considering my dad did not raise me. My dad spent more time with my kids than he ever did with me tenfold. Mm -hmm. So hearing my kids say that, and it's just so special and something that I'm so grateful for. Same goes for anyone else that's caregiving. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there for grace for yourself and grace for others, but also, you know, just gratefulness and, and being thankful for the opportunity to be blessed by caring for someone else, because that is a blessing to both the person you're caring for, as well as it is for you. It's just a really special thing. And I think that everyone should have to be a caregiver at some point in their lives because <laughs> we all grow so much through that process. I mean, we really do. Yes. And, you know, you might not see the benefits of that right away, but eventually you will. And it's just so special, you know, it's just such a blessing. So such a gift. It is. It feels like a burden a lot, I think, but so hopefully what we're sharing today can encourage you if you're right in the middle of it, you know, it feels like you're never going to be done. You're never going to have more time to yourself or, you know, and hopefully you're encouraged to see that what you're doing is a blessing have perseverance through it. You're not alone. There are other people who have been there 
who are maybe still there. You're not failing your kids. You're actually doing a wonderful ministry for them, with them, to them and include them. You know, that was the other thing too, is like, as much as, you know, my mom would say when, when her ankle, when she was sitting out for a while, cause she couldn't get off the chair very well, you know, I'll ask one of the kids, but I feel bad asking him to go up and down the stairs. And it's like, you know what, that's, we can do that for you. You know, there's nothing to be sorry about. It's, it's the way that it is right now. You can't do it. And they're happy to help. So include your kids in as much caregiving as you can. Um, it's not going to hurt them. It will only benefit them to be part of loving someone else in such a practical way. Mm -hmm. Well, and while maintaining dignity for the person that you're caring for too. I mean, you don't want yes. your kid to change your person's diaper or anything. We're not talking about no. that kind of stuff. <laughs> Disclosure. No. Yes. Yes. They are not the primary caregiver by any stretch of the imagination, right, exactly. but including them in simple tests. Like even my four-year-old was able to get slippers or go get a yeah. pillow or a blanket, yeah. you know, and she loved doing that. And then she got snuggles and, you know, not not that she got snuggles because she did something, but you know what I'm saying? Like she was able to help and it brought her closer and have a very special relationship. It gave there. her joy to do it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Excellent. So maybe if you all want to share any of your caregiving stories with us, you can find us at Goat Homeschooling on Facebook, Goat Homeschooling with Erin and Amanda and on Instagram as well, or you can email us at goat homeschooling podcast at gmail.com. We will be looking for people to interview in the future. So if you're listening to this and you'd like to come and have a discussion with us one day and be on the podcast, then you're more than welcome to do that. Shoot us an email. Again, that's goat homeschooling podcast at gmail.com. Should we do, so we we've talked a little bit about doing unpopular opinions. Do you want to do an unpopular uh -huh, homeschool yeah. opinion? <laughs> do you want, do you have an unpopular homeschool opinion we can just throw out there? I have, a I have several, I don't know how <laughs> offensive you want me to be <laughs> as offensive as you feel comfortable being. Oh goodness. What you thinking? Phonics is not the only way to learn to read. Ooh, I can't <laughs> believe you said that. I'm so offended. Just kidding. Not um, everyone can learn with phonics. Oh, I have one. Okay. You don't have to start homeschooling by 8 a.m. <laughs> okay. If you start at 10. Yes. <laughs> Amen, sister. Oh, man. <laughs> uh -huh. Don't live under that burden. <laughs> right. And don't live under you. the burden of having to teach your kid phonics when they're not doing it. Like it's, if it's just right. not, if it, you just know if it's just horrible, that's not the only one. Uh -huh. Yeah. And they don't have to learn how to well, read okay, by five so either. You know, they can be like, no, oh goodness. No. Yeah. I have a funny story about reading though. I have one child that, that was struggling, didn't read until, you know, barely read till almost eight years old, mm -hmm. um, which is still young compared to some, you know, but I was panicked. So my second child that I was teaching to read, you know, I used that, um, teach your child to read in a hundred easy lessons. Uh -huh. Well, he, he picked it up so fast. We were on lesson 50 and I'm like, all right, we'll read this, read the last page. Let's just see what you can do. So he read the last page and I'm like, all right, we're done with the book. So like, months later he was, I was asking him to read something and he's like, mom, I don't know how to read. I didn't finish all of my lessons in that book that we did. And I'm like, buddy, you didn't finish them because you already knew how to read. So he's like trying to tell me that because he didn't finish his hundredth lesson or his 51st lesson <laughs> that he couldn't read when he could, 
but that's interesting. That it's funny. funny. Kids, yeah. kids are all different. And uh-huh. it took a solid one and a half times through the book the first time. So anyways, kids <laughs> we never did that. Speed. We never did that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Phonics grammar. You don't have to teach grammar for four years. You do not have to do sentence dissections. Was it, is that what they're called? Dissect the sentence. Diagramming sentences. Diagram. That's it. That's <laughs> dissection. How, that's Your science brain is working. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to diagram sentences in homeschool. When are you, you can if you want learn? to. But... You can if you want to. But when are you ever going to use that? I just never, never understood that. Yeah. There's so many <laughs> unpopular language arts opinions that I have, I think, depending on the circle I'm in. Yeah. But yeah, my husband and I had a conversation like that eh, fairly early on. Like, are they going to be English majors? Right. Do they need to know this? I don't know. So, yeah, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to suggest topics for us to discuss, or if you have any questions, find us at Goat Homeschooling on Facebook, on Instagram at Goat Homeschool, and email us at Goat Homeschooling Podcast at gmail.com. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.